I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the mentor. I'm Mark Horace. How do you create hype online for a product that doesn't exist yet? Generally speaking, if you're a young female on Instagram, Bang & Body has likely popped up in your feed at some point. The brand's main product, a yellow tube body lotion, has become iconic on social media and has turned over more than $8 million in revenue for its 28-year-old founder, Priscilla Hagiantoni from Melbourne. Beauty influencers with huge followings share themselves holding the yellow product, applying it on their face and body while raving about how good Priscilla's product is. As a result of this, Bang & Body's yellow tube sells every two minutes. But before the product physically existed, Priscilla built and grew Bang & Body socials to 50,000 followers. So no product yet, just an idea and a feeling. What this did was create a social media snowball effect that just grew and grew. Priscilla and I chat about creating social media interest for a product that is yet to be released, generating customer trust online, and more importantly, making sure it pays off. So let's get into it. Priscilla Haji Antoni, welcome to The Mentor. <laughs> How you going? Thanks for having me. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about Bang & Body. I love the name. It's a great name. But I want to just uh, sort of dig in a little bit to who Priscilla Haji Antoni. That's an unusual surname. Uh, tell me about that one. <laughs> so I've got a Greek heritage background, um, which is actually quite interesting because normally surnames end with like an O-U. Um, so people are not really sure what my background is when they see it, but yes, it is a Greek background. Um, and I guess growing up, you know, born and raised in Melbourne, um, with sisters. So yeah, I guess that's where it's come from. <laughs> yeah. I would have thought it was uh, Haji Antonis. You're the girl that should be Haji Antonis. If it was me, if I was referring to Mark Haji Antonis, be, I'd be I on the end, but for those who don't know, um, Antonis means is is Tony in English. So, so anyway, mom and dad Greek. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, Priscilla's hardly a Greek name, but uh, doesn't matter. Um, and Melbourne based, where uh, Melbourne outside of Athens is the largest Greek population in the world, um, and I think followed soon by Chicago. It's not an unusual thing to be a Greek woman in um, Melbourne. Um, and growing up with Greek parents, uh, mum was in the beauty industry. Is that right? Yeah, she owned hair and beauty salons when I was younger. So definitely were very involved in that um, industry Yeah, since I was a young girl. And I would, after school, go and help um, as much as I could with my twin sister. So yeah, it was always part of our lives. I mean, I always say we learn what we see, not what we're told. And, uh, you know, if 
monkey see monkey do you you're sitting there watching things go in and go on and go in and out of the salon the beauty salon in particular this is a typical uh typical greek family where the kids come into the work environment and uh, because the parents are self-employed. So the kids, you know, it could be a shopkeeper for that matter, but the kids are there and they see how it all works. And uh, to some extent you even have to do a bit of work. You have to sort of yeah, – most kids don't have to. They actually want to do a bit of work. They want to help mum and dad out. Is that true to you? Um, I guess so. So mum was always very entrepreneurial. She wanted to do the best she could for us three girls and kind of give us, um, you know, a good head start in life. She, you know, we, I guess we were middle class, like mum worked her whole life, sometimes two, three jobs. And I guess when she did start um, her own businesses, it was really exciting um, for her to put a passion into play and partner with her sister who had 30 years of experience in hairdressing. Funny enough, my twin sister is actually a hairdresser. So she took after my auntie and I took after my mum. But I guess in terms of we've always had a really high, like high work ethic, Um, I guess seeing all of our family members you know, work really hard in everything that they did and ultimately wanting to make mum proud, um, as well as my dad. My dad was has always been a hard worker. But um, ultimately, yeah, seeing my mum raise us three girls and ultimately run multiple businesses, it was really inspiring. And I guess after school, like we always were there and we all of us, like I guess we're sociable kids and wanted to um, get to know clients and we would help with serving coffees and teas, sweeping up the floor, you know, helping clients with product. And yeah, it kind of got us out of our shells even further. Um, I guess being European, it's a very talkative family. So you're always chatting and um, um, people can say, I can talk underwater. So that's probably come from that when I was little. Um, But yeah, so in terms of, like I said, in terms of like the Greek kind of heritage side of things, like my mom wasn't extremely strict. Like it wasn't the typical standard of like a Greek household, but in terms of work ethic and respect and having the right ethics, definitely. So Ultimately, seeing how hard my mum did work was very inspiring for me. And I guess anything I did from schooling, homework to essays, exams, and then uni and then career, I've always put my whole heart into everything I've done. So I definitely think I've taken that from my mum. I always say an essential element of being successful in anything you do, I don't care whether you're working for yourself or you're working for somebody else. But an essential element is is the work ethic. And by the way, how you view work. I mean, how I look towards work. What is work to me? What does it mean to me? For me, it is actually an ethical thing. It's a, it's a outside of, um, oh, I've got to go to work today. Um, it's, it's something that forms part of my ethics. It forms part of my value of myself. Um, and, and it doesn't matter whether I, like, I've got to go and um, you know, dig the shit up in the, in the chicken uh, pen at my farm when my you know, manager might be unwell. You do this shit. Um, what does that work ethic mean to you? Absolutely. I think, you know, thank you for asking that question. I've, no one's asked me that question before, but um, I think growing up, I've always really felt gratitude for the opportunity that I was receiving. And I didn't want to let people down. I wanted to do the best that I could with anything that I was doing. And even if I didn't really know how to do it excellently, I would figure it out and I would practice and practice and practice until it. I could do the best job I could for the organization or the role that I was a part of. Um, as I said, growing up, seeing my mom hustle and work so incredibly hard to put food on the table for us girls, like that, that showed a different side. That was not just working for materialistic things. It wasn't just working for necessarily a better life. It was somewhat of survival. And I think that's where my work ethic of knowing that you have to work hard, but also do it with a love, do it with your heart. It's going to get you 
far further than anything else. And I think for me, the way I communicate to my team and especially when I hire, I say Bang & Body is not a nine-to-five and it doesn't mean a nine-to-five as in literally nine-to-five. It means that Bang & Body, I want it to be a lifestyle. I want it to come from your heart. I want you to get up every day excited to come to work because you're doing good and you're feeling fulfilled in what you're doing. And you are seeing the accomplishment in your work through your own eyes and it's from yourself. And I think, you know, for me, when people say that, they go, oh, that's really different. I said, I'm not here to slog you 16 hours a day. That's not what it's about. When I say bang, it's not a nine to five. It's the feeling of getting up every day, wanting to go to work, doing such a good job, feeling accomplished at the end of the day, going home and feeling excited for the next day. There are going to be days where it's harder than others. There's going to be times where, you know, you're really going to have to push hard to get over a hurdle or, you know, something doesn't go to plan. But if you're doing it with your heart and you're doing it for the right reason, it can't sway you wrong. And I think that's where, for me, having that work ethic, no job is too small or too big. I've, you know, when I started this business, I did everything for a good nine months from communication to customers, to forecasting stock, to social media marketing, PR, like everything, you name it. You know, yes, I was able to get external support when needed through graphic design and other skills that I didn't have. But in terms of the day-to-day operations of the business, I did everything. I think I had two hours of sleep every day. It definitely wasn't sustainable, but I knew if I wanted this to succeed, I had to put everything into it, no matter how tired I was, no matter how, you know, draining days could be or challenging. I just had to keep pushing through. And I think that's when you have a work ethic aligned with an element of love and passion that will drive you far greater than anything else. Actually, really good you just said that because one of the things that I think needs to be explained or at least it hasn't really been said anywhere, one of the things that governments don't understand, particularly state governments, is the deprivation as a result of lockdowns of us being able to undertake our work ethic, the thing that's like part of us, the thing that makes people like you and me and all the people in the business community, small business community in particular, that, that's our makeup, that need to um, undertake and execute on our own work ethic, no matter what it is we're doing, is very frustrating and can be crippling if it's taken away from us. It's nearly um, an inborn instinct and a right that, we're, that, that we attach ourselves to and across, you know, Victoria in particular, um, but now New South Wales, governments through decree say, oh, we're all in this together and we're doing this for you. And yeah, But they don't realise what they – it's not just the fact that we can't earn money to put bread on the, food on the table. It's we can't do what we do. Have you had um, taken pause to sort of reflect on the effects of government just generally to your business community, the community you talk to? Absolutely. I think, you know, thank you for sharing that. I think it is something that my def- my heart definitely goes out to people that can't do their service. Like technically it's a service that they love doing. It's not a chore. It's not a requirement. It's a service of love and it's a way that they show who they are as people. So my heart definitely goes out to so many people who not only have put their blood, sweat and tears into starting a business and wanting to put better servicing and products into the industries and world, but also then having to take all their hard work away and strip their identity. Like it is awful. And I am extremely grateful that we are operational and we can find new ways to communicate to our customers and ultimately still be in touch with our team. All of our team is working from home. 
we've all had to find new meaning on what that is and what that looks like. And I've been very in touch with my team every day to make sure that they're okay, they're supported and giving them that recognition that their work is still amazing. Just because we're not in the office and we don't have that correspondence every day, we still do just in a different way. And we have to embrace that new way for the time being. And ultimately, you know, we're still seeing great rewards from that and we're still seeing the work paying off but it's just a different element you know that human connection is everything and not having that as time progresses it does start to diminish it does start to you feel start to feel numb you start to feel okay well there's really no end date how am I going to get through another day and it's finding new ways to communicate and help each other through the times that we're going through and ultimately for me helping people and providing solutions and bringing hope and satisfaction into people's bathrooms and bedrooms with skincare has been a great blessing, especially for me and my mental health, because, you know, I, I am a workhorse. I am that that's what drives me, you know, helping people and servicing people is what fuels me. So if that was completely stripped away. It's also confusing too, because I mean, not everybody can articulate it as well as you just did. Um, and a lot of people, like especially older people, like they might be the shoe repair guy or girl who's been doing this for 45 years, 50 years, could be a migrant from Lebanon or somewhere like that and just really good at that particular craft and has a store and uh, people can't go in there anymore. And um, he or she will be thinking to themselves, well, what's happened to everything I've done in my life? All of a sudden I can't do it. I, I think I probably would peel back from this now though and I, I want to go back to asking you, you said skincare. Um, why are you in skincare? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, so I guess being exposed to that industry from such a young age, it was quite insightful because I guess a lot of people think it's a transformation space or transformative space. But seeing and observing my mum and auntie's clients come in, they never said, I look so different. They've always said, I feel so good. And I always kind of wondered, I didn't realize there was a difference. And I guess as I grew older, I was like, oh, this is a feel-good industry. It's not a transformative industry. I like that. How come that's not communicated more? You know, why is, why do we feel like we have to change who we are to be accepted in society? And I guess that was like the stem of like having an interest. And I've always been a lover of skincare, you know, fashion, beauty, lifestyle, like a girly girl. That's always been me. But I guess going through high school and then early adulthood, I did suffer immensely with my skin. You know, I did have hormonal breakouts. I've got eczema that runs in my family. I've got sensitive skin. Hormonal breakouts, but pardon my ignorance, does that mean like pimples? Pimples, you know, yeah, flare yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay. you know, so where that all affected me um, through my teenage years. And thankfully, my mom, who was a pioneer in natural skincare, she did really um, invest herself in wellness and, you know, natural remedies. So she did try really hard to help me with my skin. However, back then there was multiple steps. There was multiple creams and lotions, potions that, you know, she would prescribe per se. And, you know, it got to the point where as I was growing up, it was somewhat managing, but it was never really wholeheartedly healing. And even though it was natural, I soon realized that my skin was getting so overwhelmed with all the ingredients that it was taking so, so much longer to break down for my sensitive skin that it was actually causing an opposite effect. And as I got, got older, obviously finishing uni, starting my career in corporate, ultimately, you know, being in a stressful environment, my hormones flare up, happened again. But you're starting out, you don't have all the money in the world. You know, at the time I had my first property, I was paying a mortgage, 
you know, you, you lose your sight of like, okay, your finances and what that means. And so I didn't have a lot of money to spend on skincare, but ultimately you still make it work because you're in such a vulnerable position. You want to fix it. And especially being in the corporate industry, you have to look a certain way. You have to present yourself a certain way. And it was very overwhelming because I didn't, you know, what I felt on the inside wasn't reflecting on the outside for me. And so, you know, I would spend thousands of dollars on skincare that I had such hope for, but then quickly came defeat because it didn't work as what I hoped. And so, you know, I would speak to mom about it and she's like, you know, Priscilla, you've been through your skin journey for so long. You know, you're so clever. You're so articulate. You are very picky and you look at ingredients for hours on end, you know, investigating them. You know, maybe this is something for you. Maybe, you know, you going through this, this personal, you know, experience and pain points in your life, you know, might have the hope to help others. You know, maybe this is for a greater purpose. I was in at that time, you know, obviously not in the best state of mind. And I, to think about a business was very overwhelming. But I guess my commute to and from work, going from the northern suburbs into the city, was a good hour um, train ride. So it really kind of took me time to reflect. And I would mind map and I would scribble words. And if I did do a business, what would that mean? What purpose would that be? You know, why would I, why would I do this? I don't want to saturate the industry more. I want to simplify it. So what would that look like? And so for a good eight months, I was just, you know, writing down words, mind mapping, who would my target audience be? You know, what problem would I be solving? How would I communicate this business? And by the end of it, I had this business plan that I didn't even know that I guess I created. And at the time, me and my fiance were buying our first property to live in our home. And um, we had been saving for four years. And at the time, I just said to him, you know, we're at this pinnacle time of our life. Do we buy a house, settle down, get married and have kids? Or do we take a risk? And, you know, what does that look like? And I pitched him this business plan. And I just said, this is what I have. And he's been with me since I was 14. So he's been through my whole skin journey with me. And he just said, you, you need to do this. I support you. I believe in you. And I know not only can you help yourself, but hopefully you can help so many others out there who are struggling as you are. And that was the start of a two and a half year journey from the conceptualization to launching and going through endless hours of formulation, development, branding, testing, you name it, everything in between. And I was doing that while I was in my corporate career. Um, And for me, skincare is not just lotions and potions. It's not just putting things on your skin. Skincare means hope for something, well, for me anyway, skincare means hope for the solution that will hopefully help me and my mental health. That's where it got to. So in society, not truly being accepted for all that you are, we are learning. We have a long way to go. We are learning to love ourselves. We are hopefully encouraging each other as we do with the Bangor Body community. We encourage, we inspire to accept who you are as you are. We are here to help provide a solution. We are not here to change you. But that truly is what skincare means. You know, it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't make you feel like you need to change into someone that you're not. It just should bring hope. Wow, that's that's uh, uh, putting the hairs on my neck up. Uh, it's just pretty good. I mean, like uh, basically you just describe the purpose of your business um, and that is to restore hope through your product, but restore hope in, in how they want to feel. I mean, I've been lucky. I haven't really haven't had to look at this sort of stuff in my life, but restoring 
a good feeling um, is like one of the fundamental things that we all deserve and and giving us hope that we can get that good feeling. And when you and I just talked about a few minutes ago about governments, I mean, one of their jobs is actually to install that same hope of good feeling for some other reason, like if for the future. We need to have hope about good feelings, whether it's about how our skin looks or just whether we feel as though we can go to work or feel as though we've got a good purpose in our life that we can go to work or feel as though we can look after our family. So hope and feeling are two really important words that you've hit on and I'm glad you did it. It's timely. Go to the break and we'll see you in a minute or so. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm back from the break with Priscilla. I really want to hit on this banging body. Let's just talk about the name. Where the hell did you get this name from? It is an, un- I think it's unreal. It's just an awesome name. Okay. So there's a little bit of a backstory here. Um, I guess growing up, uh, banging being the slang for like good looking or hot or damn, she looks fine, whatever you want to call it. That was a slang word that was used through my upbringing at school. So when a guy would see a girl walk past like, oh, damn, she's banging. But that girl always looked the same. Blonde, skinny, tall, fair. I'm like, hang on a minute. As I grew up, grew older, this was always playing in my mind. Why was only one girl banging to to these teenage hormonal boys' eyes? And that got me thinking, I believe everyone is banging and everything is banging, not just one type of person or the way that they look. It can be a feeling. It can be an artwork. It can be a career. It can be every single person who walks this earth. It should not just be one person and it should not have a description. So for me, the you know the name Bang and Body, I thought that ultimately – I could create a different meaning of that stereotype that everyone and everything is banging and also banging can be a feeling. Being like, wow, I feel banging today. I feel great. I'm ready for the day. Or wow, that artwork is truly banging. You did an epic job. Like why does a word have to define, you know, a description of a woman? Like it just, for me, it didn't feel right. And I thought, you know what, now's the time you know, with this business and what it was going to mean to me and this purpose that I just communicated on this good feeling 
And ultimately the syllables BB, it rolls off the tongue, bangerbody.com, it's memorable. And also for me, it just had such a deep meaning that matched so deeply to the meaning of and the purpose of the brand. It's pretty cool. It's sort of, it's sort of nearly taking the piss out of what you grew up with as a teenager when some boys are saying she's banging. Um, but it's a great name. And as you say, and this is really important, um, it rolls off the tongue. It's very good to remember. It clearly looks good on all the social mediums as a, you know, in your face type thing. It's something you won't forget because we're all familiar with it. We know what it means. It's very good. It's a great name. It's, it's unreal name. Tell me about your product. How did you develop your tube of what looks to be, because I, I haven't used it and I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in all-purpose cream? Okay. So Bang & Body, I guess, you know, stemming from the purpose of my own skin journey and the multiple skin products that I was using on my skin that had the opposite effect. Um, there was a moment where I literally just said to my mom, I'm stripping everything back. I'm just going to use a gentle, natural cleanser and a moisturizer. And that would be my routine. She's like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Because she wasn't familiar with that simple skincare routine back in the day. It was always more the merrier. And I said, no, this is what I'm doing. And within a couple of weeks, my skin had transformed in a way that it never had previously. It was like this light bulb moment where I was like, whoa you know, simple can be super effective, like with the right ingredients, like ultimately there was flaws in the products I was using. Um, it wasn't ultimately exactly what I wanted, but it gave me that light bulb moment where I was like, okay, there's something to this. And from there, it was just exploring if I was to do a simple product, what would it be? And I guess where would, where would it have the most impact? And I guess how would it change people's skincare routines forever? And at the time, my mom you know, it was all about, you know, anti-aging and all about lotions and all about moisturizing. And that was her thing. You know, every day she would have, you know, these big bottles of lotions and she would always put it on. And I was, and I was always curious, like, mom, why do you, why does that have a firming and anti-aging component in there? She was, oh, darling, your, your later self will thank you. And I was like, oh, okay. My older self will thank me. She goes, yeah, your older self will thank you. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so when I started to really dive deep into what this product would look like, I go, okay, the non-negotiables of leaving the house before I went to school was moisturize your body and wear SPF on your face. They were the two things. I couldn't leave the house without them. So from a very young age, mom always encouraged and educated us on good skin health and well-being and taking care of your, taking care of your skin and yourself. So they were the two things, but I hated it. It was a chore. The lotions mom made me use, they didn't sink into the skin fast enough. I couldn't put my clothes on quick enough. I was always late to school. It was a disaster. You're waiting for the shit to dry. You, you, but we're saying you're waiting for everything to dry so you can put your clothes on. I would stand there, wait for it to sink into my <laughs> Oh, my God. You're like a pelican. <laughs> you're, like, you're like a pelican standing on the beach. Pretty much waiting for the feathers to dry, like just waiting. And that was a moment where I was just, oh, I just hated that experience. It was a chore. And I'm like, this shouldn't be a chore. And so at that moment, I knew it had to be a lotion because I needed to fix that problem of standing there, freezing your ass off, waiting for your lotion to dry before you could put your clothes on. And ultimately, that was the foundation. Um, and then from there, harnessing the anti-aging firming component. As I did more research, I found out that from the age of 18, it's gone younger now, from the age of 18, every year we lose 1% of elasticity within our skin. And so that was kind of... Jeez, I'm fucked. <laughs> oh, me too. Hopefully with the firming, firming lotion, I'm all good. But ultimately, I was 
gobsmacked by that stat. And I just said, wow, why are we waiting for our 30s and 40s to come to start taking care of our skin in that way? You know, you look at products out in the market that are targeted to 30, 40s and 50s. They're in white, boring packaging. They've got so much terminology that you can't understand. I said, there's no way young girls are going to understand what this is. This is ultimately for mature skin. So I just thought, no, something's going to change. We need to start protecting and preserving our skin from a younger age. How am I going to do that? And at the time, um, me and my fiance had purchased a 1975 combi band and it was yellow and white. So the white top and the yellow bottom. And I kind of just looked at that and was like, that's different. I've never seen like a yellow skincare range or a yellow and white kind of combo. Um, you know, and ultimately being Australian, loving the beach, sunshine, yellow is a really symbolic color for happiness. It kind of just all, you know, came together. So that's when our yellow tube of goodness or, you know, the firming lotion was kind of born with the packaging. But having that moisturizing component with all the pain points that I had with the firming and aging components that weren't targeted to a younger consumer, and then ultimate, ultimately my suffering with my hormonal acne, eczema and sensitive skin, I believe that was a perfect recipe to build a formula that ultimately could be bulletproof. And it took me two and a half years to formulate. I was extremely picky, extremely patient, and I made sure that it ticked all the boxes because I wasn't going to birth another product into the industry that was already saturated and confusing. It had to change the game forever. It's pretty interesting because a lot of people often have a good idea and they want to go into business, but they know that the industry is, as you said, saturated, like full of competitors and on many occasions um, giants, like titans of industry um, own these brands, you know, and you, you know, especially in this industry, like, my God, um, you know, and they spend like extraordinary amounts of money on marketing and advertising and packaging, et cetera yet you chose to go into that industry, which meant you believed in it, in your product. And I just think it's one of those great hallmark moments where you can actually, benchmark moments, I should say, we can actually say, you know what, um, it is a, a crowded industry, but um, here's someone like Priscilla who's actually made a big dent in that industry with believing what she did and she did something different. Um, what do you do, though, if you're trying to put together a formula um, for – a skincare product that does the non-negotiables and other bits and pieces that you want your product to do. Do you employ a chemist, or I mean, what, do you have to find a a person like this type of dude who's got a degree in chemistry who can sort of sit down there and do all the formulas for you? I mean, how does that work? Exactly. So um, ultimately, for me, I had a very detailed brief of what I wanted, what the non-negotiables would be. Um, I was very experienced in ingredients because I had researched pretty much my whole teenage life into adulthood on different ingredients, what made me break out, what helped my skin. You know, it was a part of my being. It was a, it was like instead of going on Instagram, I would be going on, you know, websites and looking at products and researching their ingredients. So it was like a thing that I just did. So I was quite familiar with different ingredients that I wanted to include, what ones to avoid. But ultimately, yes, I don't have a lab. I don't have the experience of formulation. So I had to go on the hunt for a contract manufacturer, which has, skin chemists, formulation experts, dermatologists in-house. Um, but that was a massive journey. That was also that two and a half year journey of, you know, not only finding them, which is hard enough, but then ultimately vetting them and then vetting me to be like, okay, can you meet the MOQs? You know, are they more focused on natural skincare or chemically based skincare? You know, do they fit with my ethos? Are they sustainable? Do they have a really good ethical 
um, laboratory? Like, what are their values? It was a long process. How do you start that though? What, what was the very first thing you did? You go on Google and look up, uh, you know, skincare manufacturers. Yeah, I literally was on Google, but I also was a part of forums as well. So where they do, um, you have to pay to go into these forums, but these forums help you locate potential um, manufacturers within your state or country. And that was somewhat helpful, but ultimately using that platform as a base, but then really researching and kind of going down a rabbit hole through Google, um, it can give you what you potentially desire. It won't give you everything. It won't give you the questions to ask or how do you find the right one? It might give you that starting point, but then ultimately you have to research yourself on how to attend these meetings, you know, what to look out for. But that's the same with anything from packaging supply, you know, that also comes with an MOQ, that also comes with ethical trade. You know, it's 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 through everything of business that you have to consider. Um, so that was a really big starting point. And I remember I started with a manufacturer in Sydney and I spent a good probably eight months to a year with them. I spent a lot of money, a lot of hours, a lot of time formulating. And I just in my gut knew it wasn't right. I just we kept tweaking, we kept tweaking, we kept, tweaking, and I just think something's missing. It's not where I needed to be. Like, I just was so adamant about this. And I'd spent already so much money with this manufacturer. And I literally one day woke up and I turned to my fiance, my boyfriend at the time, and I just said, This isn't the right manufacturer for us. He goes, What do you mean? He's like, We've just spent all this money. We've got all these samples. I said, No, this is not the right manufacturer for us. We've been working with them for far too long and they haven't got to where they need. I need to go back to the drawing board. So I did. I spent three days. On, in the, on the internet, going back to, through my forums, going back on Google, researching, calling, emailing. And then I finally got a hold of someone here in Melbourne. And this person just spoke to me for two and a half hours out of his day, very busy guy. And there was a girl as well, but they were very busy. And they decided to sit with me, talk to me about my previous experience, what I was going through. And they're like, come in for a meeting, you know, no obligation, just come in for a meeting. And I was just gobsmacked because these people don't have time, especially for start like people starting out. Um, but I think, you know, in that moment, I was, you know, very honest in my process and I was very persistent and passionate about the potential of what I wanted to create. And they could see that they could see the potential. And so I went into meetings with them. You know, we spoke for hours. It was a few meetings before I made a decision and they said, please go away. Think about it. Don't make a decision on the spot. But I went away and I just knew. These people took interest in me. These people took time out of their busy schedules and days to talk to me about something that they probably didn't even even know that they would create or they didn't even know that I would be a client of theirs yet. So for me, that was a big thing and and a big level of respect. And from there, it's been the most beautiful relationship, you know, and I think that's super important. If people are looking at getting, you know, contract manufacturers, it's not just their way is the right way or your way is the right way. You have to work as a team. It is so important um, and understand your strengths and your weaknesses and know, you know, the conversation and how that's going to go. So yeah, it's a very tricky thing. It's not as easy as like, oh, here's a manual and there you go. These are the steps and here you go. It's far bigger than that. And I think that's why it takes a lot of time to even try to step foot in the industry because it is so scary on where do you even begin? And that's why I love doing podcasts. I love that, you know, people like yourself have started podcasts like this because we, again, give hope that it is okay. It is okay that it will be scary. It is okay that it's going to be challenging. But if you will, if you don't take no for an answer, you will get there. You will make it happen. You will make it work and you'll find the right people to align with. 
So you got the product nailed. How did you tell the world about it? What was your marketing game and and how did you build the campaigns around telling everybody about Banger Bodies and the product you got and all the stuff you believe in? Absolutely. So when I started um, conceptualizing the idea of Bang and Body and the moment that I knew that I wanted to call the brand Bang and Body, the first thing I did was check Instagram to see if the handle was available. And when I found out the handle was available, I secured that. And that from that moment, um, I started actually posting to that Instagram page. I started to share inspirational and motivational content that would start to build an ideal community for when the time came for launch. Communicate, um, you know, the feeling of the brand and what it meant to have a sense of belonging and be a part of a platform. So for two years, I yeah shared content that I felt was very relatable to Bang & Body, whether it was the emotion, whether it was the colors that Bang & Body would become, um, you know, the journey, you know, and t- as time progressed, the following just kept growing. And ultimately as well, I would do, I would do polls um, about skincare. I would ask questions through captions. I would tag others um, and get reshares. And before we launched, um, I was able to accumulate over 50,000 followers um, to our platform where it was our community. And <clears throat> a couple of months prior to launch, um, I really started to share more about the brand, the name, you know, potentially what the product would be. It was a skincare business, even though a lot of people knew it would be because for months prior, I was asking skincare related questions. Um, so I wanted to ensure that when I did launch, it wasn't to crickets. It was to an actual community that was invested in the journey that we had been on for the last two years. And they were interested to know what I would, what would, what that would turn into. So when um, it came to launch, I had a very strict strategy where I wanted to be as authentic and genuine as possible. And that stands today as well. So I didn't um, indulge in any digital marketing for a good eight months. It was mainly all about sharing um, the product and the ingredients and the benefits and the belief of the brand through Instagram mainly, and then having the support through micro and niche influencers that we just gifted to. So I did a lot of gifting at the beginning. I shared my story. I built relationships with these people and I wanted to make sure that it was never forced. So I was always gift, but it was never an obligation. So these people had time to try the product, indulge in the product and the experience, and then come back and hopefully share with me or share with their followers the experience they had with you know, the firming lotion at the time, which was our only skew. And from there, it just kind of built exorbitant momentum. It was just going from strength to strength. Like not only were micro-influencers posting the love for the product, but also customers. After the first couple of weeks of launch, customers were sharing their before and afters, their experience, their amazing results with their skin that they had been struggling with for five plus years. And within the first week, they they were already seeing improvement. And, you know, from that, from that combo of the authenticity through customers and sharing their experience and results to the micro influencers who had already somewhat genuine trustworthy communities it just together just went bonkers and you know we acquired the name the yellow tube of goodness from the community they 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 were the ones that labeled our tube that um, which was really remarkable and then ultimately that multifaceted approach of the firming lotion being used from head to toe and pretty much for multiple skin concerns and skin types um, it was the glow on the go product that people were able to ex- easily be accessible and have in their bags and their travel cases and their bathrooms. And it was that quick ultimate solution that, you know, if you were stranded on a desert, what product would you bring? And that would be it. And 
that literally has become, you know, the go-to product in bathrooms worldwide. We now sell a yellow tube every two minutes globally and growing. Um, and it's just remarkable to see how many people's skin we've been able to help and support on their individual skin journeys as well. Like we're very passionate about helping people not only with their skin in the duration, but also their mindset and also, you know, knowing that they're not alone and they're supported. Um, and really that marketing strategy was the pinnacle of authenticity because then when we did decide to transition into digital marketing to grow a greater reach, I knew that hopefully when someone saw a Facebook, Instagram ad, they would have a friend next to them that they would turn to and be like, oh, Bang & Body, have you heard Have you heard of Bang & Body before? And they're like, oh, yes, I've heard of Bang & Body. Like, you have to try it. So it became that instant trust, that instant val- validation of the product without it just being another ad on Instagram or Facebook. Well, it seems like you've you've disrupted a, a lot of the big players, the behemoths and, um, you know, the, the giants. And, uh, and and it's quite quite interesting that you uh, picked a, as you say, um, sort of a, I don't want to say one product fits all sort of thing, but it's a, a simple one product type deal. Typical disruption is about uh, changing the way people do things. In other words, instead of taking three jars of things away with you, going up to your farm or you're going on holidays or or just at home, you've got you just basically got one tube or something. But um, importantly, one of the hallmarks of a disruption is price. It has to be affordable. And one of the things I've noticed is uh, your pricing is quite reasonable. It's not like uh, you know some of these creams are ridiculous. The claims are ridiculous, but also the price is ridiculous. Absolutely. If it meant that my margins was, if it meant my margins were smaller, but I was helping so many more people, then that was fine for me. You know, for me, it just made sure that I could cover my costs to then reinvest back into the business to then hopefully deliver and provide more solutions and, you know, simplify routines further. So absolutely price was a big factor. You know, we offer free world, uh, we offered free worldwide shipping for so long. Now it's um, free Australia wide shipping and then free worldwide shipping over $70. Um, you know, but having that factor as well was really important to ensure that not only were we pricing the product to include the formulation, the packaging, the logistics, and also the delivery, all that's included, you know, so, and still be an affordable price. So price is everything because ultimately, you know, with price, even though the product could be remarkable, not a lot of, not a lot of people, unfortunately could afford, you know, a higher price point, you know, it would be a, a second thought or a third thought, or, okay, I can't buy this this week because I want to try this or, you know, so you want to make sure it is accessible to as many people as possible. And if that means that your margins are smaller, well, then so be it because ultimately you will be able to build credibility and momentum and trust and you will be able to bring it, bring out more, you know, probably more products out there that do require a higher, a higher price point for a purpose. It's, it's very interesting and, and, and like from my point of view, um, you've just basically touched on all the hallmarks that I believe are important for success in the business and I don't care whether you're taking on the banks as I did or whether you're taking on the massive organisations, that you global organisations that you've taken on or carved, a, carved some market share away from. And they are, one, understand your business. In other words, the purpose of your business, the thing you stand for, you know, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the consumer? Not my purpose, their purpose, that's one. Two, the work ethic, that's really important. Uh, three, I've got to build awareness. I mean, I, I, it's not point me having the greatest thing in the world if nobody knows about it. As, as uh, you said, you can't sell a secret. You've got to have – the secret's got to be out there and you've got to be out telling everybody. And you've done that brilliantly through all your various mediums. Um, then price, it has to be affordable. Um Affordable and accessible. You use the internet to make it accessible. That is, that's my access point. But affordability is really important. Everybody's got to be able to afford it. I mean, and when I look at all those things, 
Uh, I'm, it's no wonder you're, you're successful. What you've done is what Henry Ford did with a Model T Ford. He It was a only black. You can only get the car in black. It was affordable um, in terms of pricing because he managed to work out how mass production worked. In, ter- in other words, assembly lines. He was one of the first to do assembly lines and he's definitely the first to do assembly lines with a car. He made it accessible by putting it through dealerships all through America. And because he could build it on an assembly line and it was only basically – you know, 50 parts or something like that, he could sell it for a price that was affordable. So, you know, affordability, accessibility, um, simple and building up awareness programs through whatever system is available to us today to build up awareness programs and these days is digital and social. And I think, Priscilla, this is something that's going to change the way people think for the future about products like you're talking about because we're sick of um, complexities and uh expense expensiveness and um redundancy of the thing we have in our in our bathroom we're sick of all that stuff we want simplicity effectiveness affordability um and we want a, a trust we want to go to product something that works look I, I i could talk forever to you can i give you the opportunity if you want it's up to you do you want to ask me a question i would love to well thank you so much for your kind words that truly means a lot and I think with everything, just to summarize what you said, it's the element of convenience. You know, that's, I think, the biggest thing as well as everything else that you said. It's, you know, it's the convenience of not having 10 steps to work through to find a solution. You know, the convenience of the accessibility of not thinking, oh, I can't get the grocery today because I need to buy this. So there's all these other facets as well. But I think the element of convenience is a big thing that I found as well, especially in my life, you know, too, being such a busy person. Um, I would love to ask you, you know, especially touching on at the start of the um, podcast where we chatted about, you know, the, today's day and age and what it looks like. I would love to know from your perspective, you know, what you feel about e-commerce and what that looks like for people, especially in that brick and mortar industries. And, you know, where do you feel like it will be in 10 years time? Well, I was fortunate enough to um, chair a task force for the federal government um, in 2018, and it was called the digitization of small to medium enterprises in Australia. The objective was to work out what is going to be inevitable uh, globally, and particularly here in Australia, what is going to be inevitable, and that is all businesses will become digitized in one shape, in, in some fashion. Um, and one of the conclusions that we we got, it wasn't a recommendation, but one of the conclusions we all reached, um, that's the whole task force, and we have people on there, you know, like uh, ex-head of Google, et cetera. Like it was a pretty heavy-hitting organisation. Um, was that over time e-commerce will prevail pretty much over everything. There's only going to be, you know, you're going to still have to go to get your hair cut at a hairdresser, for example. But there will be some industries that will um, endure and endure for the uh, benefit of uh, consumers forever. Um, but e-commerce will prevail over time. What the government wanted me to do, and at the time I was doing it for the Treasurer, who was uh, Scott Morrison, who became the Prime Minister, that what the government here in Australia was really interested to make sure of is that Australians um, in business can be well prepared for the change in the structure of how we do business. And every business will have to have more heavily reliance upon e-commerce, whether it's um, just using a square um, device to make sure you're at, when you're at the Paddy's Markets or at some market somewhere that you know how to, uh, you can actually collect money digitally as opposed to just collecting cash. But e-commerce um, requires us to digitise 
many more parts of a business compared to what we've ever done in the past. It doesn't mean all physical business is going to disappear, but every business, physical or digital, will require big parts of e-commerce to drive their business. But it's scary for you know anybody over 40 who's been in business for the last 10 or 20 years. And so we recommend to the government that a non-government organisation, an NGO be formed, which is, which by the way, um, all the big uh, tech titans uh, agreed to fund, um, put in some money, and so did the big banks and some of the big insurance companies agreed to put money in. The government then agreed to match fund them and build one organisation which was not run by the government whereby um, um, people in business, either e-commerce business or just normal businesses, could go to that entity and um, ask an entity how do they take their business into the e-commerce world and into digitization. And I'm pl- proud to say that that the government actually allocated some money from the budget. And uh, I remember it was in you know line 52 of the budget in 2019, uh, at the end of 2018, I should say. And they actually mentioned my name. And they and um, that entity is now formed. And you can, you can go to that entity and find out what you need to do to make bring your business up to speed with the e-commerce changes and how e-commerce um, will affect your business going forward. To answer your question, um, I think e-commerce in the future will touch every part of every business no matter what. Um, e-commerce will supplant many, many businesses. So I think for the future, products like yours won't necessarily be bought in Chemmart or Chemist Warehouse or David Jones or wherever. Um, it would be bought online and, uh, and maybe it's the only way I can ever access that product, your product, for example. So I, as a consumer, have to understand digitization perfectly and be prepared to use devices to get there. And you, as a vendor, you have to be prepared to continue on that journey and make sure that over time you move with the times. Because one thing is for sure, and I don't know what it's going to be look like, but one thing is for sure in 10 years' time, the way you're transacting your e-commerce platforms probably will be totally different. Um, and maybe it's, and it's probably going to be more about the experience of the consumer. Um, it might not be Instagram in five years or two years' time. It may not be Instagram anymore. It, might, it definitely probably won't be anything to do with Facebook. Um, I don't know what it's going to be because that's up to somebody else. But it's important, I would say this, that you must keep up to date with how technology works and how devices work in order to keep pace with what e-commerce users, that's consumers, expect from you in terms of the experience from the product that you're offering. And, you know, from your case, the experience is it's not the product, it's the feeling I get. And what are the devices and technology that deliver the feeling that Priscilla wants her consumers, her audience to get? I really haven't told you an answer because I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, Priscilla, but the answer's out there and it will come to you and you just got to be on the edge making sure you're ready for it. So Priscilla, thanks very much. It was awesome. That was really good to talk to you. And congratulations, well done. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis.